Hello and welcome back to another episode uh, of the Palace Way podcast. It's been a while. I'm here today with Liam uh, of Match Day 365 to discuss um, Crystal Palace as it stands right now uh, in light of um, dysfunction in the boardroom, Wilfred Zaha's departure and the upcoming Premier League season and the transfers that we may need to make. Liam, how are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. You you, uh, you paint a bleak picture, but uh, I mean, there's no way around it. It does feel a little bit bleak at the moment, but yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, it is probably panic time, I'm going to say. Uh, and I know there are a few people um, in the sort of Palace community that would say I'm being a little bit hasty with slapping that tag on it, but I kind of feel like for the first time in being a Palace fan, we're kind of we're really reacting to what's going on we don't seem to have a plan um you know ever since we fired Vieira we had a managerial search and then we reverted to Roy Hodgson you know we've brought in Lerma on a free which is without a doubt a great bit of business um and we're linked with this guy Matthias Franza um from Flamengo but I'm not sure where we stand now that Wilfred Zaha has left us in the lurch so what are your thoughts on that whole situation um I think I agree in the sense that this is probably the first time post sort of CPFC 2010 came in and Parish and, you know, since that sort of era has begun, it's the first time I felt genuine concern moving forward. You know, I mean, obviously when they came in, there was a little bit of a bedding in period and, you know, there was a little bit of just like, you know, thank God that these guys seem to actually have our best interests at heart and luckily they did. Mm. And there was the whole, you know, the whirlwind of promotion and all that sort of thing. And I think I probably wasn't alone in thinking when we got promoted, well, this is amazing, but, you know, realistically we'll probably come back down and the parachute payments will be helpful moving forward and that sort of thing. So, you know, staying up has been, especially for as long as we have, bloody hell, has been a real sort of a real blessing and an unexpected one. But, you know, I think it's, you know, we've obviously we've had periods with managers that have sort of felt unstable, but it's always been, to me anyway, it's been as long as we got Parish, we're going to be all right because he's got our best interests at heart. He's a smart bloke. He's done everything right so far, and I think now, sort of ten years in, it's the first time I'm sort of looking, you know, at ourselves from within. But then also, you can't help but compare to you know, our peers effectively and go, well, it feels like the way we run things, you know, we're starting to fall behind a bit, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at clubs that have come up since our promotion. I'm going to name Brentford uh, as a local team being in London, mm. Brighton as being our rivals and being reasonably local. Um, you know, those are two teams that have come up with a plan, right? You know, they've had stadiums, this is a big point, they've had, um, you know, new stadiums built during their time in the championship. Um, and they've come up to the Premier League with a new stadium with a higher capacity than previous, although still smaller than us in the case of Brentford. Um, and they've adapted excellently. You know, they've made smart signings. They've had reasonable managerial consistency. Brighton have gone through three managers um, during their time in the Prem, whilst we've had double that in terms of names, maybe a little bit more complicated when you factor in the <laughs> repetition of Warnock and uh, Hodgson. But, um, yeah, I mean, it feels like we've always been operating on a smaller budget than the teams around us. Um, I think one point that often gets raised that I've seen uh, is that we've done well to stay in the Premier League considering our size. Mm. But you've, it gets to a point where you expect to have seen growth from the time you've joined the Premier League. And obviously we've had that with the Academy and with more big money signings like we saw in 2021 and with Czech to Corey last year. But it still feels like we're struggling to put together, you know, 20 million pound bids for players such as France. And yeah, maybe we're playing it smart. But you see comments from journalists, maybe debatably on the level of trust there, but saying things like, you know, very tight budget for the sixth year in a row and, you know... With Roy Hodgson being brought in, it kind of feels like our plan is just to, um, you know, sit back and delay, retain our Premier League status at all costs whilst we faff around getting the stand built, at which point we then have higher income stream. And obviously there's the Zaha situation where we, he's kind of carried us mm. for, you know, years in the Premier League, years he has kept us up. And now he's gone, we've got that. So how do you feel about the state of us, you know, compared to these other clubs uh, our budget, and most importantly, where Zaha's leaving uh, has us at the moment. 
Well, I think the the easiest point to touch on to begin with is Wilf, because I mean, uh, people outside of Palace, and even those who you know maybe aren't lucky enough to go to Sellers on a regular basis, won't understand the massive gap that Wilf's going to leave. Because you know, you may look at his injuries in the last couple of years, and the fact mm. that you know last season wasn't as sort of uh, prolific. prolific as he'd like. Yeah, but I mean. You, it can't be explained other than you'll feel like you're sitting at Sellers for 70 minutes and watching a game sort of meander out and then all of a sudden Wilf will beat his man or he'll get in a little scrap or he'll sort of he'll do something out of the blue and the whole stadium will shift the whole stadium will shift you'll see the players perk up you know he, he was a real lightning rod in ways that uh, sort of that almost indescribable you know you just feel it when Wilf turned it on everything changed and yeah. I just, uh, my major concern isn't necessarily, you know, people say, you know, we well, got however many goals you got last year, you know, eight or ten six. or whatever it was. Six. Crikey, six. That's even less than I expected. Um, but they'll look at that and go, well, where are we going to get those goals from? And to me, that isn't the biggest issue. The biggest issue is how he led the team. Not necessarily in, the, you know, the, the stereotypical way, you know, you, the way you'd see Luca used to and the way you'd see Jednat used to. In the way he led by example, in which he stood up time and time and time again and went, no, I'm not going to let him beat us. And everyone responded to it. You know, I think back to, you know, the obvious ones, Watford a couple of years ago with the 2-1. But I was at, um, it's a real random game, Stoke at home years and years ago i couldn't tell you what season it was but was this the sacco last minute winner yes yeah it was. yeah 17 18 yeah yeah and i i mean if you were there for that i'm sure you'll agree if you can remember because it was a fairly it was a nothing game for so long shakiri scored a great goal in i think mm. the first half or maybe early second and absolutely... it was early second and then loftus cheek immediately scored after that right yeah and but the thing is it felt like nothing was going to come unless it was going to come from Wilf. And it just felt like after Shakiri scored that goal, he almost effectively sort of pulled his bootstraps up and went, no, no, they're not going to beat us. And everything stemmed from him. And it was just one of those countless games where it's like, okay, yeah, you know, maybe as a fan base, we overrated his quality to a point at times. I mean, I'll never back down on that, but some people will argue that. But I don't think you could put an equivalent player in that spot, in that era, and go, he's going to do exactly the same thing. Because he just didn't, you know, it was his personality that led us just as much yeah. as his talent. And that's what terrifies me, is that we're going to miss that personality, especially with Maka going, you know, especially yeah. with Milivojevic leaving, who, you know, as much as he fell off, and, you know, it was painful watching him in the, the sort of tail end of his career with us. But, you know, it feels like we're going to have a real serious lack of leaders and real yeah. sort of, as much as I love someone like Eze, He's not someone that's going to sort of stand up and stick his head above the parapet and sort of make himself a, a lightning rod in the same way that yeah. Wilf did. No, I completely agree. Um, I think in terms of players we have in our squad right now who have both the mindset, attitude and ability to back it up, I don't know. You'd say Elise maybe has a bit of it, you know? He's got a bit of fight in mm. him, which, which comes out every now and then. I saw it at Leeds, for sure away this season um yeah. i think hughes has a has a tackle in him it's a bit of an angry tackle in him. i don't <laughs> know if he's necessarily he doesn't exactly stack up to wilf um i'll give i'll give Joachim anderson um a shout there actually because he's he's got the dark arts and he um i think he understands what it means to be like a player like yeah a, a premier league club maybe he's not quite as palace as some others but i i don't know if i'm just reaching there but i think you might know what i mean by that yeah, yeah. um he's i just think that he and alicia were going to be very important players for us this season especially when yeah. they fit obviously um because without that drive we're just not going to make up for wilf at all you know we're losing a player of immense quality and if we lose his mindset as well we're basically in a lot of trouble um mm. And I think that um, is one of the reasons we push for young players so much is because they have something something to prove, right? Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I will say as well, just quickly, that I think that's something we will get from Lerma. It's not quite in the same way, but he does seem mm. a little bit, you know, he likes to sort of get involved a bit and he does seem to have sort of a real sort of drive during games. Something I noticed that Bournemouth and reading the replies, I think, you know, to, uh, you know, 
announcement that he'd left at Bournemouth. That seemed to be something that they touched on a lot, was that he was a real sort of um, stand-up-and-be-counted type player. And, you know, I, I've got, you know, as much as I really like players like Eze and someone like Decore and someone like Mark, you know, I, I don't know if they're that sort of player. So I think that was another reason why he was such a good sign-in. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I think Lerma will definitely bring um, a new dimension in our midfield because yeah. as much as Decore made you know a lot of challenges and a lot of fouls last season, they didn't feel like they had bite behind them. No, no, I agree. They weren't malicious fouls. I, I want to see some. I want to see this guy just make some dirty tactical fouls. Um, you know, he did it on Wilf, right? Um, in <laughs> yeah. one last game, um, everyone remembers that because it's one of you know, it's everybody's favourite Wilf moment up there, yeah. um, the Brighton it, goal. It was him and then uh, and then Klein, wasn't it, funnily enough, that tried to take him out. Was it? I, I know he went on loan to Bournemouth and didn't realise it was that season. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, but I may be wrong. That, that's that's funny, if, if so. Um, I just remember hating Lerma for the next few years. Um, but, yeah, I'm really glad he's joined us because... I think he brings a balance of what Decore, um, Schlupp, and Hughes all bring to the mm. midfield. Um, I agree. And he's got a bit of Luca's long shots on him. Uh, and that's something we've really missed from midfields. We haven't had someone who can just crack a strike out of nowhere. You know, the role that McGinn plays at Villa. Yeah. Um, or maybe Fabinho in past years at Liverpool, right? They were players that could just crack a shot out of nowhere. Um, even McAllister, right, at, at, at Brighton, we don't really have a midfielder, or we haven't had a midfielder who can do that um, from a deeper role. So I think Lerma will probably score a couple of goals next year, um, which, you know, goes towards replacing the deficit um, from Wilf's departure, right? Um, mm. Touching on Wilf, um, it's basically become clear that we thought he was going to stay at the club. We thought he was going to sign on. Uh, until the very last minute um you know he had a meeting with Paris scheduled on the day that he left for Galatasaray in which the club believed he was going to sign that you know papers were saying that we were quietly confident um and then Galatasaray came in and within 24 hours he was gone and I think it caught us unawares because all of a sudden (laughs) the grey rumors started popping up soon after that um, so I just wanted to get your opinion on sort of how we handled the Wilf situation and also on what you think of sort of uh, Damari Gray as a link. Well, the Wilf, the Wilf situation is weird because, you know, I've, I mean, I've had plenty of mates say to me, you know, it's getting, you know, it's pre-season started, you know, as you're getting towards the start of the season, you don't know where you are as a club, you know, what what's going on. And to a point, I agree, and to a point, you know, maybe we did leave it too long, but I mean, it's wealth. It's, it, it feels reductive to boil it down to that. But, you know, it's there's, there's, there, there was and is no one on the market that can do what he does, in the, you know, the way we, we touched on previously. So I get it to a point and, you know, maybe this time next year we'll be looking at it going, oh, we should have been more proactive and stuff. But on this particular instance, I can understand trying to leave it as long as we physically could. And, you know, I don't begrudge him you know, using our our facilities for rehab and all that sort of thing. I think we did the right thing in terms of not going, well, you're not contracted to us anymore, you can go. Because I don't think that would have helped anyone and I don't think that's what he deserved come the end of it, you know. But it's it's really frustrating and I'm sure nobody wanted it to play out that way except for maybe Big Fat Herve. You know, <laughs> I think everyone wanted a resolution as quickly as possible. I think if you asked Wilf, I think he would have wanted to either have known about this Galatasaray offer before, you know, probably before the start of July, if we're being honest, because, you know, he doesn't want to uproot his young family as as quickly as he has. But, you know, it was always his ambition to play in the Champions League. You know, there was was no doubt about it. That's always what he wanted. So, I... It's a real difficult one. I, I I can't personally come down either side of it and go... You know, we did the wrong thing, letting him letting him sort of wait as long as he did. But then, I you know, I also understand people saying that, and I understand people that sort of go, you know, he can take as much time as he needs because he's borderline irreplaceable. You know, and yeah. in regards to in regards to the grey link, 
it's just uninspiring, isn't it? You know, he's not necessarily a bad player. You know, I, I, I wouldn't sort of begrudge it if we got him, but you, if you start looking at it sort of upwards of 10 million and you go in, you know, for, for his output, is that really the best we can do? You know, and uh, my frustration sort of goes back a little bit further. And, you know, we've had a lack of depth in the wing positions for, God, years Ten now. Years? Yeah. And, and how much did Everton get getting for when he left Leverkusen? Four million or something silly? It might have been and, two and a half, I think. Exactly. And, and you know, as much as you could, it's easy to say in hindsight, oh, well, why didn't we get him there? 1.7. <laughs> it's, oh, my God. He's not but ten I'm, times the player he was. Exactly. Years ago. Exactly. And, you know, there were plenty of he's us older. saying... Yeah, he's older. He's almost less Premier League proven because he was a bit of an unknown entity when he was coming out of the Bundesliga, you know, when Everton signed him, it was, oh, well, it didn't quite work out at Leicester and he's done okay in Germany. So, you know, it seemed a bit of a free hit for whoever picked him up. Now you're looking at it going, well, he hasn't exactly pulled up trees in the Premier League and we're about to spend, like you say, 10 times more than what Everton did on him. I just don't and, think we're going to drop 10 million on Damari Gray. No, me neither. And I'd like to think we won't either. And especially when you look at it and you go, well, there's a younger lad in Jack Clark who apparently Dougie seems to really like if you're going off of certain noises from certain journals, who's only, uh, what, three, four million more than what's reported Everton want for him, mm. uh, want for Gray. So I personally would much rather take the hit on a less known player in Jack Clark, who was excellent last season, than someone like Damari Gray, who's just going to, at best, in my mind, he's going to reproduce Andros Townsend numbers. And... You know, as much as I don't want to belittle Andros Townsend, I thought we were kind of moving beyond that, you know? Yeah. Um, no, I completely agree with you. I think Jack Clark, he's not quite got the same excitement around him as a potential transfer as, I say, Elise did, right? Because he's, mm. you know, two, three years older than Elise was, um, and he's only just come through in the championship. He's had a good season. He scored 11 goals last year uh, in all comps. Um and he's made a name for himself after Spurs released him. But he, if he, if we were to sign him for Damari Gray money, I think the difference is is that Damari would come straight into our starting eleven probably. Um, whilst we, I, I reckon, going off Hodgson's record and also Clark's lack of Premier League experience, we we would phase him in a lot more. And we're about to drop, you know, twenty odd probably mm. on Francer. Uh, and he's a player without kind of a designated position. He's uh, he, he's listed as an attacking midfielder, but he's kind of... If we were to sign him to play in that position, it would probably involve Eze becoming a starting winger, and no one wants that. No. It's possible. It's possible. Um, we go down the route of a more traditional Hodgson 4-4-2, where there is scope if you put Eze at left mid, right, which is a role he flourished in somewhat in his first yeah, season. Yeah. And then you have... I don't have much against Mateta because I think he can play a target man role, especially if he's got a strike next to him. And if Franca can play as like a false nine of sorts next mm. to him, sort of slightly coming off the left, similar to the role that Eddie perhaps played at times in Vieira's first season, and Elise at right wing, all of a sudden that, with a double pivot of Decore and Lerma, looks very strong. Yeah, and I'll be honest, that's one of my concerns with Franca. And, you know, I personally... I trust Dougie's judgment on players pretty much implicitly. You know, I think he's well earned his right to take a punt on a player after he's sort of, you know, digged out so many gems, you know, whether it be when he was manager with us and, you know, since he's had this role as director of football. So I, I don't I don't uh, worry about his judgment on a player's quality. It's the fit in terms of, like you say, where's his best position? that concerns me a bit. And like you say, if you can sort of rejig the system a bit and, you know, without trying to reinvent the wheel, sort of change how we play slightly, then, you know, I'd be, I'd be open to it. And like you say, Mateta's got his uses. I just, I, I kind of hope, so I kind of hope, I hope he's not the striker that's lining up, you know, 30 times out of 38 during the season, but chances are he's going to be. Um, so like you say, with France, it's it's a case of more, how do we get him to work rather than 
does he have the talent to make it work? And I get your point mm. in, you know, we're already getting a bit of an unknown entity and someone with no Premier League experience with Franca. So we need someone that's going to come in and we know can work in, in Damari Gray. So, I, you know, like you say, it's all about balance. And maybe the answer is a little bit easier while Elise is injured because, you know, uh, Francis, from my understanding, a, a left-footed player and maybe he goes out into that Elise position. But, you know, how much cover does that leave someone like Joel Ward, you know, who it <laughs> looks like is definitely going to be starting 30 out of 38 games this season, which is ludicrous in, a, in and of itself. But that's by the by. But, but yeah. France is a weird one, by the way, in terms of um, foot because he's listed by Transfermarkt as a right-footed player, and most of his goals have come with his right, but I think he's relatively proficient with either one. Mm. So it's it's not... Um, I, I don't think that that's really that much of a, an issue. Ward is, on the other hand... Um, you know, our right-back situation has been dire, uh, apart from one season out of ten in the Premier League. Um Changes needed there. Uh, I'd say if I could choose any position for us to invest in right now, um, it would be it would be right back because, you know, I really do love Joe Ward. I think he brings something that no other fullback in the Premier League does, which is his sort of aerial prowess. I think he's excellent mm. at that. He can come inside. He can play at centre back now. You know, um, Klein I think is quite possibly the worst fullback in the Premier League right now. Um, I don't think I've seen him make a tackle. Um, he backs off every player, gets skinned for pace despite apparently being significantly quicker than Joe Ward, and has the most negative passing I think I've ever seen in my life. It, it's it's getting painful, isn't it? And I've got I've got a, I've got a lot of love for those two. You know, Kleine, I remember coming out of the academy. Wardy obviously is you know doesn't need an introduction. You know, every Palace fan loves Joe Ward, and it's getting painful because through no fault of their own, you know, they've well outstayed their welcome in the starting 11. You know, it's, it's like a Klein is drop off from that first Vieira season where he wasn't spectacular by any means, but he was okay when he stepped in to, to now is being terrifying. You know, when I see him in the starting lineup, it's terrifying. And, you know, someone like Ward, you don't want to see in the starting 11 anymore because he deserves better than, his, you know, our final memories of him and sort of the twilight of his career is him being skinned for pace and beaten constantly. And, you know, while he isn't, like you say, the worst fullback in the league, we we need better. You know, I don't see, I don't see how this hasn't been addressed for as long as it has. You know, I don't know whether it's a lack of appreciation for the fullback position sort of higher up in higher up in the boardroom sort of level, you know. I don't know whether it's that. I don't know whether it's, you know, maybe misguided trust in, you know, a couple of lads that clearly have a lot of love for the club. You know, I don't know what it is, but like you say, it's it's difficult to sort of, it's difficult to watch at times. You know, you the, the prospect of, you know, going into this season knowing that either Wardy or Klein is going to be facing the likes of Garnacho, the likes of Natoma, the likes of... You know, Martinelli, it's, you know, do you remember when Martin Kelly had to play left back after Pat Suarez's injury <laughs> or after his car crash? And yeah, it I felt, remember. And it felt like every week we were conceding or losing because a goal was coming down to Martin Kelly. And that was through yep. no fault of his own. It was because he was being played out of position and because, it, you know, he didn't work in that position at all. And, you know, going back that far, why the hell did Pardew not put Kelly at right back and Ward at left back? I will never, ever know. But that's by the by. But it's going to get to that point, I feel like, at some point this season where we're looking at the right-hand side and going, we're losing games because we haven't got anyone better to play in those positions. Mm. And again, that's not going to be down to Wardy and it's not going to be down to Nathaniel Klein. You know, the only people it's down to are the recruitment and, you know, I guess to an extent, you know Nathan Ferguson and I don't put any blame at his door whatsoever because he doesn't want to be injured you know and in regards to Nathan Ferguson I don't even know if he's accepted the contract offer Um, so Nathan Ferguson um, as some people listening will know um, is a player that I have exceptional amount of um, respect for because 
I, I've watched him um, at every stage of his career since we were linked with him. And he's impressed me every single time in light of what can only be described as the worst injury record I've ever seen from a young player. Mm. Like, the guy is consistently injured in a way that I don't even understand what's going on there, especially because the injuries aren't related. Yeah. Um, you'd think the club would have had him scoped out as well for some kind of condition that makes him so prone to injury. So it might just be he has the worst luck, um, in which case we have awful luck as well. Um, because he, I think, despite being injured for three years, Hodgson still rates him. Um, and as far as I'm aware, he has accepted that contract offer. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Um, it's, Ferguson's situation is pretty unique. I think we have a lot of trust in our academy. Because we've produced fullbacks in the past. Mitchell, Wambasaka, Klein, etc. We have two really exciting right backs, maybe even three if you count Danny Imre on top of Caleb Kapora and Caden Rodney um, coming through at the moment. Um, and I think the club's probably reluctant to spend big in that category because we have players that, according to the projections we have, could make it in the Premier League. Um, mm. The left back situation is a little bit different because um, we don't really have. We have Teo, who... Teo is a talking point, because at the moment, um, there's a bit of sort of conflict going on um, amongst our staff, where I think, you know, whether or not, you know, you want to keep on to Teo this season as backup. He's yeah. injured at the moment. but Or loan him out, which is something that Mark Bright's definitely pushing for. But I think, you know, the Crystal Palace side of things looking at us as a team and performing this year, kind of want to hang on to Teo. So that is something that's causing a little bit of um, arguments higher up. Um, and speaking of arguments higher up, uh, John Texter has just <laughs> um, done an interview with The Athletic. Uh, came out uh, today at the time of speaking, which is the 28th of July, Um what did you think of it? Um, it felt to me like uh, a big kid with his, you know, with his pocket money in hand, stomping his feet at the fact that the shop's closed and he wants a chocolate bar. As as sort of silly as that sounds, you know, I think he's bought into a club knowing the role that he's buying into, knowing the system that he's buying into in regards to Paris being you know, arguably overly hands-on in regards to Dougie being sort of the the godfather of the football side of things. And, you know, 18 months, two years on, he's looking at it going, well, I'm not happy with the role I've bought into. And it's it feels childish, to be honest with you. I'm, I, mm -hmm. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt when he first came into the club. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to hope that he was different to, a, you know, a lot of the American owners, but it just feels like he's he doesn't understand how football works, doesn't understand how at the very least how Palace works and it's it's infuriating when he's coming out with these little sort of passive aggressive remarks and, you know, maybe just straight up sort of moaning to you know, the athletic and I you know, I, I remember I saw CPFC transfers H, HQ had a little exclusive with him and it you know, it's sort of he's not conducting himself in a way you'd want a majority shareholder to conduct himself you know it feels like he's airing a lot of dirty laundry yeah um i think crystal palace fans are kind of eating up what john texter has come out and said this interview um mm. because i think compared to a lot of clubs um we are less transparent with sort of the inner dealings um you know we as a smaller club we don't have as much journalistic interest um so that's one thing and also i think parish is generally more reserved when it comes to going out and talking about what his plan actually is, which mm. I assume has many benefits um, before people go at me for saying that we deserve more than we have or whatever. You know what I'm referring to. Yeah. Um, I think people are just really happy to see someone coming out and saying something, and that might be blinding them a little bit to, you know, what lies beneath. 
Yeah, right? I agree. Be- because in this interview, you know, he's, he's stated, first of all, he's begun the interview about Palace very smartly, which is by saying what he's done for the team. You know, he was like, <laughs> you know, I've come in, I've paid off the shareholders, money off the table, finished the academy, reduced the average age of the team, which means that he funded Elise, Edward, Anderson, Gay in the summer yeah. of 21. Uh, so he's gone in and he's basically said, I've put in um, the money and now it's clear no one wants to sell any more shares. Um, now about that is basically at Crystal Palace Football Club, you cannot um, buy more than a certain percentage of the club, right? Mm-hmm. In order to ensure that everyone um, remains sort of an appropriate amount of control and keeps um, parish with a certain level of influence. So the way that works is if um, Texter wants to invest more, um, the rest of the shareholders will have to invest uh, an amount of money proportionate to their amount of shares that Texter would put in. Right. Um, and therefore, Texter can't um, invest any more money um, without the rest of the board um, following suit. And the Athletic says that that seems to be something that is being worked towards, um, that sources close to Palace, who are to remain anonymous, um, say that other shareholders will soon be injecting cash as part of a capital raise, which will dilute their holding. So that's interesting. Mm. Um, the bit I want to touch on really is sort of the relationship between our four majority owners being Texter, Steve Parrish, um, and then the sort of Harris and Blitzer um, duo. I think as far as I'm aware, Parrish is viewed as viewed as the sort of figurehead for the whole thing after all he is chairman texter seems the most willing to sort of splash the cash um Mm. but he has you know there's there's sort of an uncertainty about him based off his multi-club model and the fact he is you know american basically people are skeptical of that um as sort of strange as that is uh and harrison blitzer i think get a reputation for not caring about the club which may not strictly be true based off what Texter has said, what Parrish has said in the past, um, and on the money we've spent since they've come in. So how do you feel about sort of our owners at the moment? It's, it's messy, and it? that's, that's the overwhelming word I, I keep coming back to is messy because, you know, it feels like um, Parrish, uh, Blitzer and Harris had a good little thing going between the three of them. And, for whatever reason, maybe it was to fund the academy, you know, partly to fund the main stands, um, you know, probably as well due to, you know, the lack of income during COVID and, you know, the financial issues that threw up. It feels mm. like they've kind of viewed Texter as a bit of a necessary evil, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of them going, well, he has money that we need. How can we get that without sort of falling into his hands completely and that's something i you know i personally am very strong on. i don't want to be in a position where we're one of texter's clubs you know in that athletic article we sort of he he sort of makes it very clear that he's more of an investor and not a leader in the club as mm-hmm. you mentioned and i think at best that it should stay that way in terms of his sort of say in the club because I think in his idea, his, his sort of ideal world is we become another Botafogo, another Molenbeek, and sort of get into his sort of pl- uh, player and club funnel. You know, mm-hmm. he spoke about moving that lad, uh, Jaffinho, across to France and his reasons for doing that. And I personally don't see a world in which Crystal Palace benefits long term from being in that funnel. You know, because we may we may end up with a superstar right back from Botafogo, but then Michael Odise goes to Leon, and I don't want to be in a position where we're at the whims of other clubs for our own success. And I think that's in a, you know, I think that's what Texter wants, and I think him buying Leon has gone massively under the radar in terms of his influence and how it would affect us if he were to become sort of. Uh, you know, the the man. If we hand the keys per se over to him, because mm-hmm. you know, let's not let's not beat around the bush. Leon are a huge club, especially in comparison to Crystal Palace. You know, they've got such history. The fan base is massive. The stadium is massive. You know, they've got European pedigree. They are in a different stratosphere to us, and I think when you know we would be looked at if we were to get into that model completely 
as for Nice Leon, and you know, I, I you couldn't blame them for it, you know, and I don't want to be in a position where our owners are looking at us as less of a priority or a means to an end, you know. So I don't want to be in a position where we're handing everything over to Texter and going, well, you sort of fill out your sort of vision for Crystal Palace because I don't think he cares about Crystal Palace individually. I think he cares about his Eagle football holdings, you know, and how that as a whole can be successful. And I'm, I am so confident that if slash when this amicable, amicable divorce that the, uh, the athletic keeps hinting towards comes, he will be involved in a Premier League football club within however long, you know, legally he's allowed to sort of, you know, uh, you know, if if he can be involved in another football club in England within a month, he'd be involved. You know, I don't think there's anything special about Palace that he loves. I think he loves the idea of having an English club that he can put into this sort of portfolio and and use. You know, this sounds very clinical. It sounds very pessimistic, but. You know, he's using Botafogo and he's using Molenbeek in order but to sort of they've further been successful. each other. They've been really successful since he's come in. You know, they've been promoted and now they're 10 points clear of the Brazilian league and Molenbeek have just been promoted as well. So They have, he, they have. And, you know, he deserves a certain amount of credit for that. But then you look at the stories around, you know, not yeah. being able to pay for transfers at Molenbeek and that sort of thing. And, you know for me a massive massive red flag and I can't remember the exact month that it was released but the article that came out from the Financial Times about Texter wanting to sort of I can't remember the specific terms so correct make it like wrong, publicly but, listed or something yeah to sort of float shares and it become publicly listed and my understanding of that and after speaking to a friend of mine who sort of trained slash training in the financial world that to me is a, a massive flag that says Either he's running out of money or he doesn't trust the money that he currently has. And, you know, we can't be in a world in which we're spending money that doesn't exist. You know, we've been down that road. You know, we can't we can't do it. And to me, if Parrish has even an inkling of that's the situation, you know, that can't, you know, Texter cannot be allowed any more power and i'm not sitting here saying you know texter's this sort of you know cartoon figure that's rubbing his hands together sort of knowing that he's ripping us off i truly believe he wants success for every club that he's got involved in i just don't see i don't see how his best case scenario is also crystal palace's best case scenario and you know you mentioned the other two you mentioned harris and blitzer they're silent. You know, how many times have they been to Celeste in the last sort of, how long have they been here now? Eight years? Apparently many, many, many times. Steve Parrish came out and said um, they regularly attend games, which well, was really surprising to me because yeah. I imagine them as some sort of, you know, off in the States, um, focusing their money. You know, one of them has just spent £7 billion on an American <laughs> yeah. football team. Um, so, you know, they've got money. I think the fact it's mm. not being spent um, is representative of one of two things, or possibly both, um, which is that they either can't without Parish. The issue is, is Parish doesn't have as much money as the other three. Yeah. Um, and if they're going to invest, it would res- probably result in him not having as much control. And that's just something that he, as someone with veto power as chairman, cannot afford because he is the fan. He's the one with our best interests at heart. Um, which is what I believe and something that he's proven mm. many times um, over the Completely 13 agree. years he's been he's been here. You know, that man has taken us, um, in, in the words of Stuart Shave, um, from, from the doldrums of the championship, uh, from the brink of liquidation to a position where we can at least plausibly dream about Europe. Yeah. But he yeah. is limited by his funds. Um, um, I... I think that's a that's a interesting point because I I see you know there seems to be a, a sort of mass turn on Parrish mm. and I'm I'm incredibly frustrated at Palace in the last sort of twelve to eighteen months you know everything feels like a missed opportunity it feels like every every news article is negative but mm. one thing I've never doubted throughout all of it is that Parrish has our best interests at heart that he. If he had his way, you know, 
if he had the funds to, if he had the means to, we'd be paying 30 million for, you know, a right back that suits us, that will be, you know, we'd have gone out and got Eddie Nketiah or, you know, Brogia or whoever the first choice transfer target is and all that. So I, I have no doubt that's what he wants. But he clearly and arguably fairly prioritises stability and, you know, a long-term plan over, you know, going out and getting that additional player yeah. If it, you know, potentially risks FFP backlash, which I'll be honest, I don't understand in the least. FFP if... isn't really that much of a risk for us. Um, I don't think. Um, I think Parrish is obviously getting a huge amount of stick because he is the figurehead. Mm. Um, but I genuinely do believe that the current way in which the finances of the club are being done is completely with our best interests at heart. However, I think maybe this is something he's not necessarily in direct control of, but the planning uh, and the vision that we've had as a club um, basically in the last five years or so has been pretty appalling. You know, like we got rid of Roy, you know, let him finish his contract. um, And that was a goodbye. He was was effectively saying he was retiring. Yep. And we said, we now want to go a different vision. We want to reduce the age of the squad, which made complete sense. Yep. And we want to bring in a young young manager to facilitate that. We ended up with our third choice manager. Yeah. Um, which I think was a rocky start to a, to our sort of execution, who we ended up firing and considering firing only six months in as well. Uh, hence why he wasn't backed as strongly, apparently, uh, in the summer. So... Now we have uh, a third choice manager that A wasn't backed and B is now fired and we've replaced him with the man that we've replaced him with the man that he replaced which is becoming a little bit of a trend at Crystal Palace Football Club after the mm. Klein Ward Wambasaka Ward Klein Ward thing that has <laughs> uh, you know tortured me in my nightmares um, for many a year now um, I think we really need to just appreciate the situation right which is that we're in a really good position as a club we have been in a really good position as a club but it's volatile it's not as stable as it seems Roy Hodgson is not a guaranteed place in the Premier League next season um especially if we don't back him because our squad at the moment is dire like actually dire like we're going to start the season with Mateta Ayu um current attackers that are fit are Mateta Ayu Jezza and Raksaki, who will probably go out on loan later in the season, and Edward. Yep. And using Senior with Raksaki is already a risk, because he has two Premier League appearances. Yeah. Maybe it's, one. It... Yeah, well, yeah. One, one Premier League start, for sure. One Premier League start, one off the bench against Chelsea. Yeah. So, you you, you look at it, and the, the manager thing's really interesting, because... I feel like that's where we are completely and utterly lost. You know, yeah. I think, um, you know, maybe you could argue that this summer there weren't targets that were on one hand realistic or on the other hand good enough. And I think that that's a fair argument that can be made because, you know, you look at someone like Arne Slot or you look like uh, look at someone like um, Andros de Koglu. I hope I pronounced We were linked with Eddie Howe. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, you look at, at this summer and you go, well, everyone was either way too far out of our range, you know, Spurs were turned down by slot and got Postacoglu, and, or they weren't good enough. You know, I don't, I'd, I'd rather us keep Roy until, you know, Touchwood is a long way away, but until he's at death's door than get Frank Lampard, for example. Yeah, no, you Frank know, Lampard is, um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And he was someone we genuinely considered more than Eddie Howe. Like that, that's it's things yeah. like that where I lose a lot of faith, like in our management team, because as much as we wanted to give Zaha time, I think we were left a little bit in the lurch, and we should have had a. I just think it's the club's responsibility to its fans, um, mm. and to everybody involved with it to have backup plan upon backup plan. You know, you want the scouting team and the director of football to have excellent backup options for every position prepared yeah. you know yeah, if yeah. a transfer goes down management. you want to be able to snap in an instant to pick someone else up because brighton have done this incredibly you know yeah. brighton lost their uh, did he win player of the season um Kukurea? Kukurea did, yeah yeah he won player of the season 
um, they sold him, and then they signed someone better than him for half the price that they sold him for. And I think Asupanyan is currently one of the top three left backs in the league. Like he's been incredible. I admire him so much as a footballer. And then you look at you know they lost, um, uh, they lost Trossard, and they've got Matoma and Adingra coming through. Um, yep. both straight out of loans to Union saint Giroise, and they've done well Mitoma had a very good season um, I think people were very deceived by his reputation you know they he, he scored what seven goals in the Prem I think equaled that with a man of assists which is an incredible return don't get me wrong but people were acting like he was some sort of 21 year old genius when we're putting him you know above Neymar in European rankings I was saying like a complete <laughs> yeah. Complete overreaction. Yes, okay, fine. He studied dribbling at university. He's an incredible player. There's no doubt about it. I'd take him at Palace in a heartbeat, but he is not a top European winger yet. There's always there's always scope for improvement. But And Adingra has obviously been probably more successful than Matoma was at um, in Belgium. Uh, yeah. And he's impressed in preseason, and I have no doubt that he and Ciso, March, uh, Matoma, and Ferguson... Buenanote will, oh my god, uh, will make an incredible uh, attack for Brighton next season. Because they've got depth uh, for Europe. And, and Charles Pedro, have... don't forget Charles Oh, Pedro. good lord, man. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, you can't blame us as fans for being jealous of what Brighton have done because they have a brand new stadium, they have an incredible scouting system, and they are making bank through player sales without a detriment on the pitch. You know, they mm. lost the manager that people were praising with their style of football, and they replaced him with someone even better. We yeah. replaced Vieira with Roy fucking Hodgson, who we basically effectively fired a year before. Yeah, it's it's the way we seem to plan compared to them is chalk and cheese, and it's it's depressing because it's them, but it's depressing because it's so obvious. Yeah, you know, to a lesser extent, Brentford do exactly the same thing. You know, I I look at them and their best player is going to be suspended for a serious amount of this coming season. And I have absolutely no doubt that they're going to be above us by the time that Ivan Tony comes back off his competition, you know, from his ban. So it's the fact that it, there seems to be so little hope in terms of are things going to get better? Because the track record in terms of managers, like you say, is 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 woeful to be perfectly honest you know you look at our managers and you know firefighter upon firefighter until Roy came in and Roy was you know in terms of his stature at the club you know that'll never be in doubt love Roy Roy. exactly and those first two seasons were excellent and then the Covid seasons were depressing partly because they were Covid seasons and partly because we scored 50 goals across the two of them yeah, exactly. But then how much of that was his fault in hindsight? You know, all of us wanted him out, myself included. But no money was spent. You know, he was left. You know, the, you know. remember that old um, saying from Sir Alex Ferguson saying, if you gave me 10, 10 planks of wood and I think it was Jisung Park and I'll win you the Champions League. You know, it was that equivalent with Roy with um, Wilf. You know, give me 10 planks of wood and Wilf and I'll keep you in the Prem. And that's what he did. And that's all that we wanted from him. So, you know, I don't, in hindsight, I don't begrudge those seasons to him. I begrudge it to those above him. And, you know, those that aren't either. It's difficult to explain, isn't it? Because it boils down to, well, we're not spending enough money because we haven't got the players. Uh, You know, players to make seasons entertaining. But then you go, well, then who do you blame for that? Not Parrish because he hasn't got the money and he wants to. Well, then do you blame Harrison Blitzer? But then, again, this falls back to the conversation we had before, where uh, Parrish is saying in interviews with Gary Neville that, you know, that Harrison Blitzer are the best partners you could ask for. So where does where does the issue lay? And I guess that's the, the most frustrating thing, is that there are so many issues and you don't know where the finger can be pointed because supposedly everyone's got our best interests at heart. And it's... Oh, you just go in circles, man. It drives you up the wall. And then you've got Parrish on the final day with a microphone in hand shouting, we're going to take this club to the next level. And then Wilf leaves and we re-sign Roy and we make one sign-in three weeks into pre-season. And it's like, well, uh, it, it, keep our expectations realistic if that if it's going to be another season of treading water, which it very, very, very clearly is going to be. I have no doubt we're going to sign more players this window. 
Mm. And if we don't, I think that is when I will probably turn on the board. Um, but everything's interconnected, right? That's what you've touched on is, um, success as a club kind of comes from every aspect. Brighton had a scouting system. They had a good staff team. Um, they had pretty good players. Um, and they had a good owner and they had a good stadium and eventually the results followed suit. They got the promotion. Now they're starting to really impress in the Premier League and with them impressing in the Premier League has come with playing a good style of football and that's come with more TV, um, uh, games, right? They've had more TV games, which has increased their revenue so they can afford new things. Uh, it's increased their international reputation. More people, I bet you have heard of Brighton than Crystal Palace at the moment. Like I went, um, I went away for for a holiday at the start of the summer, and when I said I supported Crystal Palace, no one in Spain knew who the fuck we were, but they knew who Brighton was, they knew who Matoma was, they somehow knew who Ferguson was, but didn't, you know, they. If I say Wilfred Zaha, they know, but now he's yeah. gone. We that's, have very that's... little international reputation. No one goes to our games um, when we do international, um, you know, preseason stuff, uh, and we are a small club, but. Yeah, Brighton was smaller than us, man. Brighton yeah, was smaller we... than us for five years, six years, seven years, and they've overtaken us. And Brentford are overtaking us. Fulham are very close to it if they keep doing what they're doing. Um, That's and, and Villa have is, done it. Newcastle yeah. have done it. They've all been promoted since we were in the Premier League, and they've overtaken us. And it's kind of really, really scary. Uh, and there's a quote from uh, John Texter, which I'm going to use to kind of head us towards a to, towards a finish from um, the article where he says. Players often use this great word. I went to the club for that project. They don't mean they want to build stadiums. The project is in alignment of the club's leadership with their own career path. I can't mm. see much leadership at our club at the moment. No. We keep getting promised a stadium. Uh, not even a stadium, just you know, one quarter a of stand. one. A stand that's <laughs> holding up our transfer business. And I get it. We don't have as much money. Um, and if we have to tread water this season so that we can improve in the future, so be it. But we have been told, let's tread water this season and not sign anyone this season so we can do it next season for 10 fucking years now. And my God, I just want to have belief for the for the first time as a Palace fan because we had it, just a taste of it with Vieira where we thought next season could be the year we challenged for Europe and then it all went to shit. And now it seems that instead of rebounding from that, we're just satisfied with it because it keeps us in the Premier League. Stable... Staying the same is not stable in a league where everyone else is improving. Yeah. I, I just, I'm very, but, we are lucky. And I think the club is probably thinking they can, I don't want to say get away with it. I think the club that this, recognizes that the standards of opposition in the league this coming season is much, much lower than it was last year. Yeah. Um, and that we can probably afford you know, with a manager of Hodgson's pedigree to not invest as significantly as we had to maybe in recent seasons in order to maintain a league position. However, I want to improve, man. I just, I want to see us take the step of getting a new right back for the first time in my lifetime as a Palace fan, right? I've lived my entire life as a Palace fan seeing Joel Ward at right back. (laughs) Like, it's mental. And I've seen Wilfred Zaha at left wing for all that time, and now he's gone. And maybe we'll replace him with some 19-year-old from Brazil. And maybe we'll replace him with Damari Gray. Who, who knows? Um, yeah. But but to me, it seems like we don't really have that much of a plan. Um, I saw that, you know, you saw the reactive rather than proactive thing. Um, we're falling behind our, our um, similar teams, but there is hope, you know. Maybe if we get past this season... Mm. Well, uh, do you remember uh, just off, I think it was right at the end of Eze's uh, rehab after his injury, he did an interview with Premier League Productions and he was speaking about how he was promised, you know, uh, if he came, it wouldn't be the first season, but then he'd be joined by lots of like top talent. And, you know, he was promised a vision and he said he was literally beaming saying and everything they promised has, has come true and all that sort of thing. It feels like we got to that point. It apexed with the quarterfinal versus Everton, which in hindsight is, it feels like as good life. as it's going to get. Yeah, absolutely. And no, it's not the best day of my life. It's up there. And, and since that point, it feels like we've gone, well, we gave you what you want. 
and then it's gone back and back and back and back. And now he and... reportedly doesn't want to sign an extension, and Zaha's left possibly because he wasn't promised enough of a exciting vision for the four years in which he would be contracted to us. Yeah. Uh, and now Elise and Gay are both being rumoured with huge moves away, debatably huge, depending on that release clause, Schrodinger's yeah. release clause. At and then you look at that and you think if this crop of players moves out, which will happen sooner rather than later, like you say, if Eze moves, I think we probably, touch wood, get to keep both him and Elise for this coming season because of Elise's injury and because we yeah. literally cannot afford to sell Eze. We keep both of them. They both move on. Maybe Mark's moved on in this summer. Yeah, Mark's, Mark's a complicated one. Uh, I don't think he wants to go to Chelsea that much. Yeah, He left no. them and was pretty proud to leave them. And it worked out for him. You know, he got FA Cup semi-finals first season. He's now our captain. Yeah. Um, and we trust him. And we really highly rate him. And Chelsea didn't. Chelsea didn't ever trust him, right? No. Um, and I think Mark... I think Mark kind of on board with us as a club and with us as a fan base. I think I think he loves to play for us. But I don't know if he loves to play for our board. Yeah. And why would you? When you're yeah. trying to sell this to Mateus Frank Franca, you're looking at it and you're going, you've got to praise a naive young lad and he doesn't back out of this. Because why on earth would he want to come to us if Brighton come in two days' time with exactly the same money? He joined, he joined Brighton. Exactly. And that's, Which makes you wonder, why the fuck aren't Brighton bidding man. for him? <laughs> exactly. And, and But that's depressing because you think of it as Wilf gave us a two-year head start minimum. He gave us a two-year head start over Brighton, which in theory should sort of balance out the head start they get with having a brand new stadium effectively for free because Bloom will pay for anything. Mm-hmm. So we had a head start and they've overtaken us. So why would you trust this board with the next step of your career? Because what I was... in disarray with Texter. Exactly. And this is what I was getting to in terms of if this sort of, if this uh, generation moves on, then you say if we have, say, 200 million to work with because we've sold as a saying gay, you know, you're going up to players going, hey, do you want to come play for Crystal Palace? What, what sets us out? You know, OK, we've got great club identity. Our fan base arguably is still the best in, in the league in terms of home support. You know, why... Why would a player go, okay, well, I'll spend two, three years of my career at Crystal Palace instead of two, three years at Brentford or at, or at Brighton? You know, because then you look at you look at Wilf and we kept him for longer than he wanted to stay. You know, you look at this generation and we've promised him stuff that we haven't delivered on. So why should anyone believe a word that comes out of anyone's mouth at boardroom level? You know, and maybe it will be a case of we're able to bring in the next generation of the academy, which is very clearly the plan, which is very clearly our US. But in five in years, and they plan. won't say at us if we're not a Premier League team at that time. No, no. And that, but then you look at it and you look at someone like Killian Phillips, someone like Jake O'Brien, you know, we need them to sign new contracts. Are they going to? I don't know. But, th- but those, are, those are examples of players that have trusted us with their future and now might be looking at it going, well, has this been the best thing for me? Because I, I agree in the sense of Killian Phillips most likely isn't going to be a, a midfielder that's worthy of Premier League minutes. No. But what about the next Killian Phillips? What about when, you know, David Ozo someone who I think... David Ozo, some, man, I just... He's, he, just, he's, he, he he's has the it, one. You know? Yeah. So I don't know what his contract situation is like. Touch word, I think it's fine for the time being. But when he gets to 2021... Is he going to be looking at Crystal Palace as the best place for his future? You know, you don't know. And nowadays, with player power, you know, you see it at sort of a, a heightened level with the likes of Mbappe and stuff. You know, they can just decide where they go now. So we need to make sure that we are a place that players want to trust and want to play for. Like you say, not just in terms of fan base, in terms of, you know, the blokes that they're signing their, their life to. You know, mm-hmm. it's... It's a real complicated situation because, you know, if you look at it objectively, I don't think we are the best place for young upcoming talent anymore. And that's not something I'd have said when Vieira first came in. Yeah, especially not with the documentary. 
Man, we were just sold the dream that year, weren't we? We had the documentary, we had the FA Cup, we had us beating bigger teams and playing exciting football. And yes, Conor Gallagher's departure always sort of loomed on the horizon, but mm. it wasn't him that made us that year. No. It was, it was a collective excitement about the project that motivated players to perform the best they could, and it fizzled out when they realised we weren't going to follow through with it. Yeah, and when they realized, I, and when Vieira realized he wasn't going to be back because he wasn't backed in January, um, and he wasn't backed in the summer, and you could see between basically just whatever happened after that Leicester game, after the England player call up, ever since then, mm. being a Palace fan has just dropped. Yeah, but uh, I, I think as well, you you trace that all the way back to what we said about him being third choice. You know it. I, with Gallagher leaving, I was, you know, in hindsight wrong, but I had hoped that Patrick Vieira was a good enough manager to go, OK, well, we had X amount of input in this way from Conor Gallagher. He's now gone. We're going to have X amount of input from Averieze in a different way. His job as a manager was to go, I've got a potential world-class player here replacing a potential world-class player leaving. My job as a manager is to make sure that the team doesn't get worse by trading these two players out. And he wasn't a good enough manager to make that happen. Hmm. So, you know, the, the the initial failure is in hiring him in the first place. And that, that sucks because I've got a lot, lot of affection for Patrick Vieira because of those memories that we got in that first season. But, you know, hiring him was a failure. There's no way around it. You know, we wanted Lucien Favre. We wanted Nuno. Thank God we can, didn't get Nuno, by the way. Bloody hell. Hmm. But, you know, we we failed in getting our targets. And subsequently, that failure has been a, a sort of knock-on domino effect. But why weren't we looking at like Deserby? I'm, ju- I'm just saying, like, why weren't we? So again, that that, bo- that boils down to the question of why would you want to come to Crystal Palace? So it's uh, it's depressing because we we have so much going for us in terms of the current crop we have now in terms of players. So many excellent players: Michael Elise, Abereze, Mark Gay. Sam Johnston, Joachim Anderson, Jefferson Lerma, Shaped Corey, who's been a revelation. You know, all of those are unbelievable. Right players. back, left back, left wing, striker, boom. Yeah. Ha- well, I, me, myself and Mikey, who, who sort of founded and ran, runs uh, Match Day 365 yeah. um, with me, he, he sort of he mentioned it uh, at our apex, was that we were two or three equal players, you know, equal to what we currently have in terms of Eze and all, you know the ones we mentioned, we're that close to being, you know, being Brighton effectively on the pitch. But we never, we never followed through. It's a missed opportunity, and now we're looking at it and we're going, oh well, okay. Now half of our squad is probably Conference Europa League level, but the other half are bottom five in the Premier League at best. You know, so it's that massive disparity. And I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm looking at it going, unless we have a window that I cannot foresee, I'm looking at it going, please, God, can we stay up? And I think we will stay up because I, you know, I back Roy, I back, you know, the fact that we will have players come in eventually. And like you say, the league is just weaker compared to what it was. But the gap between us and our peers is going to be huge. You know, we were, what, two, three points away from Fulham come the end of the season? Yeah. And about so we would, Yeah. That would be, be 10 points. That would be 10 points away from Brentford, 10 points away from Fulham. Maybe, maybe not Fulham, because I, I have a sneaky suspicion they're going to fall like a stone, but whoever Fulham's yeah. going to be this year. I just you know, think there'll be a bigger... I think we'll see a huge split between top 10 and bottom 10 this year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think totally you'll agree. see sort of Bournemouth... Palace, Burnley, Everton, Fulham, Luton, Forest, Wolves, Sheffield. Mm. And there'll be like a 10-point gap, maybe more, between them and then you've got Brentford, um, Villa, Brighton, Newcastle, Chelsea, Arsenal, you know, the standard big six teams. Yeah. 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 But the thing is, as well, you look at those clubs that we think will be in our bracket, and I agree for the most part with most of them, but 
Bournemouth have just hired, to me personally, a complete unknown, but seems to be incredibly highly rated and is spending money like nobody's business. Now, don't get me wrong, spending money doesn't equate success always, but they're, they're going for it, you know? And yeah. you look and Everton seem to permanently be a mess. I um, really want them to go down. <laughs> that's what mate, so do I. After, after that 3-2 game, so do I, desperately. Yeah. But they're a huge club. You know, they're not far off Spurs in terms of the size of club that they are. So we're sort of riding our luck going, well, how much longer of a mess can they go on for before either they go down or they sort their shit out? Because in theory, Everton should be nowhere near this bracket. And eventually, what you know, maybe it's when their stadium's built. But one day they'll sort their shit out and they'll go back up to where they should be because someone will come and invest in them because they're a better commodity than Crystal Palace and then they'll have more money. And it you know, it would just be another cycle. It'll be another Newcastle Villa cycle again where we had a head start on them and they overtook us. And don't get me wrong, I appreciate they've been in the league for generations now, so maybe we don't have a head start on them. But right now we do. Right now they're an absolute mess. Sean Dyche is a great manager, but you can't work miracles. You know, we should be pulling clear of them, not sort of hoping we can, you know, tread water above them. Well, on that glorious note, um, <laughs> thank you very much for uh, talking with me. Um, it's been brilliant to have you on, and I hope everyone listening enjoyed as well. Uh, and without further ado, I'm just going to say thank you very much for listening. Thanks for having me, man.